Hello and welcome back to the Beta Sandwich Science Podcast, your source for news and trends in the molecular biosciences. This is episode number 46 for the week of May 11, 2014. On this week's show, marijuana, risk versus benefit. Dun, dun, dun. You hear Christian Copley Salem in the background. He is a PhD candidate in cell and molecular pharmacology and physiology at the University of Nevada, Reno. Say hello, Christian. You're lying. I never hit you. Okay, I'm here. (laughs) Is that from a movie, I hope? (laughs) It is. (laughs) Anyone who gets that, put that on our Facebook page or something because that is hysterical. If anyone gets that reference, you win nothing. <laughs> what an incentive! You, uh, yep, you will be mentioned on the show. Seriously, no, you will, because anyone who gets that reference has has suffered through that movie, and they should be recognized. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we also have with us uh, Carolina Balkenbush. She is a registered dietitian out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello. Hello. And I am Scott Barnett, along with Christian. I'm a PhD candidate in cell molecular pharmacology and physiology at the University of Nevada, Reno. I do want to mention that we're getting lots of feedback on Facebook, and we love it. It is like heroin to us. We we assuming we love heroin, which <laughs> who's to say if we do or don't? But uh, it is wonderful. We love your show, your suggestions for topics and all the input you're putting there. We try to incorporate it, as much of it as we can into the shows, and we're going to be start looking at that much more closely because people are actually engaging. So couldn't be more thrilled. Talk to us on Facebook. It's just uh, facebook.com slash beta sandwich podcast. And we will uh, we will we'll talk about what you want to talk about. So cool. What do we do this week? Woo. Um, I did nothing this week. That doesn't make for good radio. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, my mother has mesothelioma. How's that for radio? Just like Happy Mother's, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> um, I've seen lots of lawyers on TV. Uh, uh, you, she might be a millionaire soon. Well, okay, here's the thing. We are a biology show, so I can talk a little bit about this. She has a tumor on her diaphragm lining. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, mesothelioma is cancer of the, the thin membrane that holds all your internal organs together. You ever see those horror movies and like someone gets cut and their guts fall out? That's mm-hmm. fake because all of your in- internal organs are held together by this membranous thing that surrounds all of them. The pleura. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's like Ziploc bags for your organs. It is a little bit, but it's one single long membrane that c- sort of connects them all. So if you get cancer anywhere on that, it's mesothelioma. It's cancer of the mesothelioma. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, 99.99% of the time, it's caused by asbestos which goes in through the lungs and you get tumors on the lining around your lungs and it's really malignant and it will metastasize all over your body and that's bad juju and then you die yes and it should be noted that it's um it's uh it's aerosolized fibrous um uh oh geez uh asbestos it's uh we like we use asbestos gloves in the lab. It's it's probably one of the world's world's greatest insulators of all time. You can right. pick up a a five hundred degree boiling cauldron or whatever wearing an asbestos glove, and it's like you're it's like you're like picking up nothing. You know what I mean? 
Right. Which is awesome because it has nothing to do with her cancer because she doesn't have it in the lungs. Oh. And oh. what freaked us out was they found it in her diaphragm and the initial thought is it's already metastasized because it's gone into the lungs and it's gone to her diaphragm. Well, it's not in her lungs. She had all kinds of scans and whatever done and she has just these little tumors right above her diaphragm and her lungs are clear. She's already had cervical cancer. She's had a hysterectomy. She's 70 years old. She didn't need that stuff anymore. But it's all mesothelioma, mesothelioma, if I can get the word. Mesothelioma. Thank you. Is it always metastatic or is this just kind of a a weird benign tumor she has? The doctor says it's not benign, but it's not likely metastatic. I thought it was always binary. What do you mean? It's one or the other. It it's growing, but it isn't spreading. Okay. And is it pretty it, easy to remove? Well, no. She's going to Johns Hopkins for a treatment for it. Mm-hmm. That's good and bad because that's a very good medical institute. Right. But if you're going there, you probably need some serious stuff done, right? Well, the reason the reason it's good and good and not good and bad is because this is so rare. Like one, like it's 0.01% of people with mesothelioma don't have it in their lungs. So it's hyper rare, which is why she's going to Johns Hopkins. She's not going there because it's like terrible and they're her last hope. It's so just that also means it's less, goes, less bad? Yeah, they don't think it's going to metastasize. They think that they can just go in and remove it. Um, so we'll see how that all works out. You know, biology is messy, so it could, you know, spread to her brain and kill her in two hours. But... That that isn't the diagnosis we're being given by the oncologist. So, you said this is your oh, stepmom. That was my mom. I don't oh, your have mom. Well, geez, I'm sorry for being so cavalier about the um, the diagnosis. <laughs> I this just thought well, you, you, you just don't sound too concerned. I guess I, I'm not. I I'm was just when your it tone. was. Yeah, I was when it was when I thought it had metastasized from her lungs. I was like, oh, this is bad. And like, I had this very serious talk with her about, you know, well, if you don't want to go through chemo again, blah, 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 you know, I'll support your decision. The whole, you know, serious son, I love you. It's your choice kind of thing. Because I wasn't going to say, oh, no, it's no big deal. Right. Because that would be lying. Right. But then mm-hmm. she got this. She went to the oncologist and he's like, it's not lungs. It's not related to the lungs. And I was like, oh, well, we can be optimistic then. So we decided to be optimistic. Yeah. Well, we certainly wish her the best, man. And, uh, yeah, she'll be awesome. Updated. She'll do. She'll she'll do fine either way. She'll figure something out. My mom's crazy, and I love her. <laughs> so, anyways, there's my week. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you win. Did uh, or, or lose, or geez, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> Carolina, did you do anything fun? Um, nope, not really. Okay. That's... Of note. Looking down the barrel of cancer, and not anything else looks that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do something uh, uh, that I don't normally do, although I have done in the past, I'm sure, which is... Uh, Be quiet. I'm going <laughs> to... How dare you? I'm going to... Uh, uh, just because I'm really proud of this, and I want to pimp it a little bit, and, uh, and, and I don't feel like I'm getting the love it deserves. Um, there are plenty of art projects and stuff I do where I'm like, yeah, I get it, people aren't able, but I like this project. Dang it, dag nabbit, and I want the world to view it. It is, um, so basically, when I started training for this marathon, which has now become a half marathon because of injuries and all kinds and laziness, let's be honest. Um, and uh, it's, uh, when I started running, I found all these really cool things on the side of the road. I mean, it's all garbage and weird, discarded stuff, thrown out of windows, it's been there forever, whatever the case may be. 
I was really, I found it very, very fascinating. I'm like, oh, look at all this stuff. Being a photographer, an amateur ph- photographer, I was like, you know, this would be fun to photograph because I think like doing some macro work and looking at the stuff close up, it's actually really fascinating what people are throwing out their windows and it's discarding and decaying and doing all this crap, but it looks really cool. So I put together a website. Uh, it's uh, thingsifoundwhilerunning.com, that simple. And uh, you can see a lot of the stuff on the side of the road. I've taken pictures of it. I put it up there. Um, like I found like you know old stuffed animals that are falling apart. I found a shotgun cartridge from 1901. It says it right on it. I thought that was like a model, and then I googled it, and it's like no, it's really from 1901. So I've just been sitting in the desert for 113 years, and um, all kinds of crap. But I think it's really cool. So uh, look at it. Let me know what you think. Things I found while running. Com. Uh, that's that. This isn't this isn't like used condoms and heroin needles or anything, is it? If I had found either of those, it would absolutely be up there. Fantastic. But, uh, that is the vein. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> oh, that's killing me. <laughs> so there's a that's... toothbrush on there. There's dental floss. There are um. There In are context, rent. that's pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> there's no context. What did you think was a contact? Context. Oh, context. Yes. <laughs> oh. Oh. So. That's it for me. Um, last week, a uh, couple people in our lab, Christian didn't do it for very good reasons, and I hope you do it next year. There was also something at the university called the three-minute dissertation, which is where you have three minutes to describe to a non-scientific o- uh, audience what your research is, why it's important, the impact of it, and, and boil that all down into a three-minute talk with a single static slide, no transitions, no nothing, just up on the thing there. Tons of fun. We did it. They're going to put that on the university website. We'll link to it, but uh, had a good time doing that, and um, yeah, that's that. So, I think so that's... good luck. Do you know if you won or didn't win, or they said middle of this week, some point. Um, it's like five hundred bucks, right? Yeah, uh, I think there is a little money there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't realistically expect to be uh, anywhere near the money zone, but it was still a lot of fun doing it. So, it, nice. What What's cool is that it, um, uh, well. The funny thing about them saying it's going to take a week for it to for them to post the results is like there are like four like very busy engaged professors that are like responsible for um, judging these things and there are twenty five participants and it's like they did record it but like I find the likelihood very low of them all going back through looking at all the videos very closely again I imagine if they could have very easily told us who won like five minutes after this thing was over. Um, I can't imagine them sitting around watching all the videos again. If they do, bless them. They're very dedicated and wonderful human beings. But uh, I know if I was on that panel, I'd be like, here's one, two, and three. Do you want it now? But uh, we'll see. So this doesn't count as your actual dissertation. It's just Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd that be so cool. Fun. I would be all for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, oh, yeah. I, that would be the best day of my life to be honest with you but no it's uh it is it it means nothing in the grand scheme of everything except for a little uh it's good in the point that like some people struggled a little bit and it it, it really forces you to be able to take boil down your research into something that's very digestible and very uh concise because that's really hard for a lot of scientists to do we really dig into our work so deeply that trying to explain it to a non-science audience and trying to explain it in a very short period of time is surprisingly difficult to do mine ended up i had i went really really light on the science and 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 it was just it was uh 
it was still very difficult to do. So it, I think you do grow a lot as an individual from doing it, and it probably helps you, which is science are, scientists are notorious, notoriously bad for explaining the work they do to lay people. And this kind of forces you to think about how you would actually do that because uh, we're not really good at that. So, so I, there are lots of benefits to this, but it's well, just... let's think about it. We have an advantage because we do it every week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we kind of do that on this podcast. We try mm-hmm. at least. So I'm going to do it when I have a thesis. So we win. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I'd be honest, it's I, because I of the 500 very, bucks. it is very helpful. <laughs> yeah, 500 bucks. <laughs> No, you're right, Caroline. It's it is hugely useful. I was being a little dismissive, which was wrong. It, it is it's a very useful thing to a lot of people. Uh, those of us like on this podcast, we do talk a lot. We're very comfortable speaking to people. For a lot of people, it is much more challenging to do that. And um, and and even for us, like I really struggled to get it to three minutes and do the thing. And so I even grew quite a bit from 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 doing this. So everyone everyone learns. So it's good. Yeah, and I think Albert Einstein makes a good point when he said that uh, if you can't explain it simply, then you just don't understand it well enough. Yeah, that's so accurate. Yeah, which is why no one has ever explained quantum mechanics because pretty much nobody <laughs> nobody gets it. it. <laughs> ah, all right. Well, um, I guess we have nothing else to do but go on to science blast. Science blast. Pew pew. 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 Bang. Pew. <laughs> she reloaded and killed us all. She did reload. She had a single Ooh. barrel. She, shot, <laughs> she ejected that shell, reloaded, came back for round two. So um, normally we have three science blasts uh, through uh, comedy of errors slash uh, Del not being able to be here, all kinds of fun stuff. We have one, but it will be a fun one. I promise you. I hope. It's <laughs> yours, right? It is mine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this stems from a uh, article in Science Magazine from 9 May 2014 called Rejuvenation Factor in Blood Turns Back Clock on Old Mice. The more simpler definition of that is we now know why vampires live forever. Uh, professors Amy Wiggers and Lee Rubin of Harvard's Department of Stem Cell and Regenerative Biology they did a couple different experiments over a few different years, and they found that a protein called GDF11, which is growth differenti- differentiation factor 11, which is found in humans and mice, uh, in my, oh, be important why it's in mice in a second here, improves the exercise capabilities of mice equivalent to that of the age of about a 70-year-old human. In other words, this growth factor, if put into your body, improves if you were to take someone who was, oh, biologically 70 years old it makes them act younger they didn't say how much younger but they did say it does improve things so and uh gdf11 affects the hearts of aging mice uh as well as the effects of uh muscle and brain so it's uh and oh and importantly it also affects it smelling uh ruben who was one of the lead scientists in this this study he said that they um that these mice have a keen sense of olfactory discrimination when they're young they can sense like fine differences in different odors and when they tested the young mice they found that they avoided the smell of mint i guess mint is not a pleasant thing to a mouse for whatever reason and the old mice didn't seem to care that it was around when they injected gdf11 into the older mice all of a sudden they stopped liking the smell of mint 
which uh, they're attributing to uh, the fact that they're kind of turning the brain down or turning the olfactory senses uh, back and age a little bit so that they, they could differentiate the two. Uh, they did a couple of different studies and both examined the effects of this GDF-11 in two ways. So first thing they did, which seems rather macabre and, and scary, is they, they did what was called a parabiotic system uh, analysis, here, analysis in which the two mice were surgically joined and the blood of the younger mouse circulates through the older mouse. How's that for a visual? Oh, my God. Yes. And, uh, and second, they, did, they just took um, GDF-11, they injected it into the older mice. So they were really looking for a single protein that could have this differentiating factor here. And, um, and, 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 and then they looked at whatever effects just that single protein had there. And as Melton noted, that uh, GDF-11 or GDF-11 is naturally found in much higher concentrations in younger mice versus older mice, and raising the levers, levels in older mice improved functions in basically every organ system they studied. So that's pretty cool in that a single protein that we can we can put into uh, an older person's system can have these wide-ranging effects. And if you're asking, well, geez, how does this work? This is fascinating. They don't know. Uh, <laughs> wagers on the study, he noted that there's a still great deal to learn about this and the mechanisms of aging and muscle and blah, blah, blah. He said, I don't think we're, we fully understand how this is happening or why. We might say that damage is modification of the genetic material. The genome does have breaks in it, but whether uh, it's damaging or necessary or part of the repair, he doesn't know yet. In other words, they don't know quite what this growth factor is doing. So what I, I did some a few googling of uh, of this protein GDF11, and they said it does stop progenitor cells during um, during G phase, and so uh, or it's involved in it. And so it might go to say that if you don't have enough in it, you're going to get a lot more cell arrest, cell death, cell uh, uh, cell kind of atrophy, and 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 so your your cells aren't going to replenish quite as frequent, frequently as they would they would normally. What I find very cool is that if this GDF11 is a single protein, really does prove the human clinical trials to be something very useful. It's a single amino acid. All these drugs from these drug companies have they get patented and there's all these issues. As far as I know, you still can't patent an amino acid. This is 407 amino acids long. So the single protein could be synthesized uh, in bacteria or maybe even synthetically synthesized. But in other words, uh, this could be a cheap drug in theory, uh, as long as you don't need too much in your system at any given time. So I find that to be very encouraging. But uh, it's this is one of these things where it's we're right out of the gate with this. It's only been known for a couple years. We don't know all the ins and outs of how it works, if there are some long-term negative effects, if your body's basically going to compensate while you're pumping it into your system and then it won't matter anymore. Uh, we don't know. But, uh, hey, you know, could be the fountain of youth we're all looking for. Wow, Yay. that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, we, we will see. We will see. But I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I would not recommend going down to your uh, local drugstore and trying to buy some and inject it. I think we're, we're a little early for that. So Let's jump in the gun for sure. I only inject heroin. I'm just saying. <laughs> You're on the air right now. What? <laughs> oh, damn it. We're recording. <laughs> I thought I was muted. What the hell? So, uh, yeah, that is our single science blast, but I uh, hope it will hold you over. There are so many cool stories out there right now. We're definitely going to cover them. And like I said, uh, post uh, any story you want to hear about on Facebook. Uh, and we will we will look at it, and we will try to incorporate it into the show. We're looking at that very closely now. 
Well, with that being said, I think we should probably move into what will be a super fascinating segment on the meat of the sandwich about marijuana. So let's do it, Carolina. And the reason I wanted to talk about it today is because um, a recent Gallup poll showed that uh, for the first time in history, Americans are more in favor of legalizing marijuana than criminalizing it. Um, Basically, 58% of Americans say that they want it to be legal. And 48% of Americans say that they have tried using marijuana in the past. Um, At the current um, this this current point in time, there are 20 states that have basically allowed uh, the use of medical marijuana. Uh, Nevada is one of them. And right now, my husband is involved in the process of licensing, well, helping some different people apply for licenses to have dispensaries in the state of Nevada. Uh, it's kind of an unusual issue because marijuana use is illegal by federal law, but some states allow its use. There are only two states in the nation that currently allow it for recreational use, and those are Washington and Colorado. Um, so basically it seems like we're kind of moving towards making marijuana legal um, nationwide, federal law may or may not change. So it's, I think it's very important to address whether marijuana use is safe or not, whether it's addictive or not, and if it has any actual health benefits. Um, so uh, cannabis has all kinds of different compounds in it. The, the primary psychoactive compound in cannabis is the THC, and it mimics the structure of the endocannabinoids that you have that your body naturally produces. Um, the endocannabinoids act on a group of cell surface receptors that can regulate appetite, mood, and memory. And THC, that compound, uh, its shape happens to fit these receptors too, which um, can cause profound changes in behavior and awareness. When THC binds these receptors, um, which are found in your brain and in other body tissues, it can cause uh, an increase in some neurotransmitters and a decrease in the concentration of other neurotransmitters, which results in that feeling of a high when you smoke marijuana. Um, It can lead to feelings of merriment, relaxation, and introspection, but can also cause um, paranoia and irritability. Um, Some of the concerns with marijuana use are that it temporarily um, can decrease your uh, mental abilities. It can decrease um, working memory, which is your ability to, um, which can be tested by tasks of trying to remember and recite short lists of numbers and random words. Um, It can also decrease your ability to pay attention, can decrease concentration and motor coordination, and um, it decreases your ability to quickly scan your surroundings for, for uh, obstacles. So these types of cognitive uh, cognitive effects can be very dangerous while you're driving, so that's one of the concerns. Um, if you're under the influence of marijuana, you might have some difficulty driving and increase your risk of getting in a car accident. Um, basically, t- the problem is um, in, in Washington, they've allowed... Uh, THC or marijuana for recreational use, but unlike with alcohol, you can measure alcohol in a person's blood pretty easily just with a breathalyzer test, but when it comes to THC, you'd have to do a blood test, and you you typically need a warrant for that. Um, 
experts say that a level of THC of about 5 nanograms per milliliter in your blood is a pretty comparable impairment to the 0.08% blood alcohol concentration. Um, so it's going to be kind of difficult. While, while Washington has set that as, as its upper limit, it's kind of difficult to enforce, basically. Um, cops would have to like, either smell marijuana on you or find some other way of figuring out whether you've been smoking or not. Right. I imagine, um, so, though, like these tests, if it becomes more, if legalized marijuana becomes more more widespread, that they'll these tests will become much cheaper, more uh, in, more developed, so that you can do a field sobriety test, or you can basically just just do a breathalyzer equivalent, you know, in the in the field, because it hasn't been an issue so far. You know what I mean? So I think fifty years ago, it would have been very hard, other than doing a touch your nose thing to tell if someone was drunk you know what i mean while driving but now it's just because drunk driving so prevalent they be developed tools to make it very easy yeah for sure and, and it seems like the research on marijuana hasn't been a huge priority either that or it just has been very difficult to conduct um it's it's difficult to study the long-term effects in uh, in the laboratory just because people who do typically use marijuana also use tobacco and alcohol and um, it's hard to kind of distinguish the effects that it's having. Um, Do we know if the correlation with, like, tobacco goes down with the regular uh, use of tobacco? Like, I assume that tobacco use in general is going down. Oh, you're Mm -hmm. wondering if marijuana use is going down? No, if the correlation with the of the two goes down with that. Well, I guess one of the one of the main co- concerns that the government has is that marijuana is seen as a gateway drug. Um, basically, hasn't that largely been proven lead- to be inaccurate? I, I don't know. I don't follow it that closely. I thought that was one of those myths. I don't know. Well, what I read is that the, the research can only point to really a correlation. It can't show causation. Um, the problem is that that people do use tobacco and alcohol, and then you know it might it might be that a person is just more able to more easily obtain marijuana at a young age and that kind of makes it a gateway drug or maybe people who are likely to use marijuana are just more adventurous in trying different types of substances anyway. Doesn't that seem so, like it'd be more of a reason to legalize and regulate it? Because if it's that easy because it's exclusively illegal right now for a 13-year-old to get pot, if you drive out the illegal drug dealers by making it completely legal, um, then it, if it's harder to get it as a young person, then you're just as likely to drink or do whatever because it's you know what I mean it's not easy to get hold of it yeah yeah that's that's definitely a consideration and it's kind of an interesting social experiment to see what's going to happen in Colorado and Washington with it being basically fully legalized for recreational use um, there are actually other countries in the world that have pretty interesting laws about it most countries do have it completely uh, banned and, and illegal but there are some countries in Europe, including Portugal, Spain, Italy, and some of the Baltic states, um, that actually it's it's legal to possess not only marijuana but other hard drugs. Right. Now, I found it interesting you didn't say Netherlands because I didn't know this, and I, I'd heard this, and again, I don't know if it's accurate, uh, that marijuana is actually illegal in the Netherlands. It's mm-hmm. just that they tolerate it um, very openly, I suppose, but technically it is not a legal substance on any level. Uh, did you read about that? Yes, yes, and that's the case in a lot of other European countries too that basically the the way the law is written, the penalties are pretty severe 
for being in possession of marijuana, but rarely ever are those punishments executed. You know, if people do serve any jail time, it's usually pretty minimal. Which is kind of in a way where the U.S. is right now, even though certain states states have sanctioned it, it's still illegal at a national level. So it, you could still you could still be pulled over and charged with possession, couldn't you? Uh, you you could be. This. I guess I guess the Obama administration has said that they're uh, they're not going to do like these raids on dispensaries or, or prosecute it as much as they have in the past during the the Bush administration. So. Yeah, it's kind of it's weird. It's almost like the DA is just going to turn, turn the other way, and it's, but it's a wink, wink, nod, nod thing. It doesn't mean they couldn't, or that as a as a person in possession of it, you couldn't. Maybe the local police uh, uh, do not have the authority to enforce it, but that doesn't mean that any federal agency couldn't come in and and kick down my door and say you've got an ounce of pot in your house, so now you're going to jail, right? Right, they they absolutely could, but yeah. I guess they're just choosing not to right now. Right. It, it um, seems like the feds anyway would. They're not really concerned about individual people. They're concerned about like the dispensary. Like the feds aren't going to well, break down individual people's doors to find an ounce of pot, but they are going to go after, you know, large farms and things that are in states where it's legal. But it's, yeah, go ahead. I, I guess I mean the 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 biggest concern with it is the the interstate. Uh, you know, transport of it and, and sale of it. Um, so I thought a pretty good point that the state of California made a few years ago that was actually struck down was that um, there, it, it was that you could get a medical marijuana card, they had their dispensaries, everything was grown, and they said contained within the state. But you can't tell whether the marijuana that's crossing state lines was something that was coming from a medical marijuana dispensary or something from the black market. So, you know, even though supposedly it's being contained within the state, it could cross state lines. So I can see the federal government's concern with that. The problem is that there's not really a lot of great science showing that marijuana is super uh, harmful in the long term. In fact, it seems that, that alcohol... Is, is documented to be much more harmful. Um, one of the most striking bits of evidence I found was that um, 88,000 Americans die every year from excessive alcohol use, according to the CDC. Half of those from uh, liver failure or other chronic abuse conditions, and the other half either from alcohol poisoning or acute situations like drunk driving accidents. Right. Um, there are 1,600 cases of alcohol poisoning deaths um, reported each year, but there has not been a single documented case of um, a marijuana overdose. Um, the constant, the, the amount of THC that you would have to take on is absolutely ridiculous. They haven't um, studied it in humans, but they found that animals would have to eat at least half of their body weight in, in marijuana in order <laughs> oh, to die. So it's uh, it's very difficult to overdose on it. It's also much less addictive. Um, the National Institute on Drug Abuse has done a study, and they, they found that only 9% of people who try marijuana become addicted to it versus 15% uh, of people who try alcohol, 20% of people who try cocaine, 25% for heroin, and 30% for nicotine. So it's much less addictive even than, than tobacco. Yeah, I'd be, I, you know, I thought about this a little bit. And I, I'd be interested to see where these longitudinal studies go with the effects of marijuana because, you know, on the one hand, I absolutely agree that with chronic situations, no pun intended, where like uh, uh, you, you, you OD and then you die and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, alcohol is absolutely more devastating and even long-term liver failure and all that stuff, alcohol is very devastating. But I think that a majority of people 
would not currently, or at least in the past, have been willing to go into a study where they admitted long-term use, they agreed to be studied. Because of alcohol's legality, uh, Mm -hmm. there are massive, uh, you know, uh, we have, you know, 100 years worth of extreme medical data on alcohol use, and so we can make these really strong correlations on, on the effects of alcohol, whereas marijuana, it's only been... I think highly or moderately prevalent in the society in the last half half century. And uh, people are not willing to admit their use of it. They're not willing to go into studies about it, or at least only a very small group of people. So there may be larger consequences to it that we don't realize yet. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's worse than alcohol. Jeez, I'm not even, I would never even try to say that. It seems that it's much better for you (laughs) in, in the broader sense, but I don't think it's going to be quite as, as, benign as as the proponents make it out to be anytime you take any foreign substance in your body that alters your brain or it, it, there are going to be long-term consequences and uh and i'm i'm actually for the legalization of marijuana for a hundred reasons but uh it, i don't think it's just going to be this ultimately oh yeah it's like no worse than you know like you know drinking diet soda or something so we'll see <laughs> right no i absolutely agree i think that there that more research does need to go into it but understandably it's very difficult to study it right now since it's illegal you know imagine as an institution trying to study the effects of an illegal substance substance on a person the only way you can really even obtain the marijuana for for study in a lab is from um uh, i guess it's uh, at Ole miss the the campus there they sell um marijuana for lab use and (laughs) any research that that you can do on marijuana has to be approved by uh an organization that 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 is um preoccupied with drug abuse Right. No, so I think I, th- I think it's an advantage of legalization well. is that you will be able to do much larger uh, studies on it and, and its actual effects without people fearing to be part of a study like that. So, mm-hmm. which I think so, so, which, go go on. Uh, I was just going to say, which I think is going to be kind of a weird setup because people there are a lot of people who are want to legalize marijuana for fun, right? Mm-hmm. And then there is the medical angle of it what's going to happen is they're going to find a way to give you the medical benefits without smoking it like oh they already take have this THC oh, yeah, there, there, pill. there are tons of ways to do it yeah they, right. they have pills they have vapors they have you know, oils they have all kinds of different ways to administer it and they're going to work really hard to make it not get you high but mm-hmm. that's that's fine like i i'm fine with both angles of it because not everyone who has cancer and has no appetite necessarily wants to be high you know what i mean Right. Like it's if you want that option to have the benefits of it without actually being blottoed, then that's <laughs> cool. But right. like, again, uh, it, there's there's I mean, people for since the beginning of all human pre-recorded history have been trying to get high or drunk or something. Right. We've been eating mushrooms. We've been doing whatever we can to do it. It's never going to go away. The human body loves to escape from reality a little bit and have a beer or smoke a blunt or whatever that whatever you want to say is that what the kids say smoke a blunt i'm guessing i'm assuming that was as cool as i could make a sound i'm like smoke a blunt you know that's what the kids everybody say. uses the vaporizer come on but the <laughs> the thing is though i think there's a lot of people who are advocating for something that may end up not being what they're hoping for you know yeah. what i mean yeah, Which, what, what, what kind of blows my mind about it right now is that, you know, the 
the government kind of has controlled substances uh, categorized into, you know, schedule one through five drugs and schedule one being the worst for you. They're the ones that are most addictive, that have no, no shown medical benefits and are not safe for use on, without medical supervision. And cannabis is considered a schedule one uh, controlled substance. But Marinol, which is synthetic THC, is is considered a schedule three, which you can actually, once you have a prescription, you can get it refilled. And it's and actually much more potent, the, right? Yes, yes, it's much more concentrated. And I guess uh, people say that if, if they usually smoke cannabis for you know nausea or for loss of appetite or weight loss, they're able to know within like a few minutes or a few seconds of smoking a joint how much they should be taking versus with the Marinol, they're taking a full dose and they won't know for an hour later since they're ingesting it yep. how much it's affecting them. So let me ask so you this. It's just kind of crazy. Um, since your husband is involved on this in some level, what like uh, what's the state in Nevada, like the state of marijuana pseudo legalization in, in Nevada. Where when can I go down and buy a, a space cake? <laughs> uh, they're hoping it'll be on the ballot in 2016, just for full recreational use. The way it is right now is you can get a marijuana card, so you can you can get your medical marijuana. Um, but right now there are no dispensaries just yet. So if you get a medical marijuana card, you have to grow your own plant. Um, sometime soon. I guess probably end of this year or early next year, there will be marijuana dispensaries. Um, I believe there will be 40 down in Southern Nevada and Clark County, and I think 15-ish in Washoe. Um, For the medical aspect. Yes, yes. So you will have to have a marijuana card. But it's going to be pretty dangerous because um, since it's illegal on a federal level, uh, you can't use like a a credit card or a bank card when you're purchasing it there. It's all a cash operation, which will make it a huge target for for theft. Backwards. I know it's pretty crazy. Uh Um, (laughs) So just to kind of summarize the the potential benefits, um, it's, there's pretty strong or reasonably strong research showing that in glaucoma it can reduce um, eye pressure. Uh, it can relieve chronic pain due to neuropathy, fibromyalgia, or rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it can reduce nausea and vomiting from cancer chemotherapies, and it can um, limit severe weight loss that you suffer from AIDS and other diseases. Um, it's also thought to potentially uh, relax muscle spasms and multiple sclerosis so research is showing you know some preliminary evidence that it can be very effective in at Uh, least some uses on a side note if you if you work for the federal government uh and that includes christian and i we are technically employees of the federal government because we get our stipends from nih funded research uh we are still not allowed to do it even if it's legal um yeah, we could be fired from our jobs from doing it because mm-hmm. we are work for a federal agency and it is illegal under federal <laughs> statutes. And so, therefore, if we were tested, we could be fired. So if you work huh. for any government agency, you actually – it doesn't matter how legal your state says it is, you can be fired. That makes sense. Working in academia, people are fired for that all the time. Oh, wait. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably well, I mean, fine. It it's, it's a huge ethical issue. I mean, I mean for Colby it is too um, because as, as an attorney – are you supposed to follow state law or federal law? It's kind of a conflict of interest. Yep. Are you promoting something that's illegal by helping somebody apply for a, for a license? Didn't they just come down with a ruling on some appellate, federal, whatever level that that lawyers could defend? Yeah, no, no, yeah the Nevada Bar Association determined that it is, it's okay in Nevada. Okay. 
So he's not doing anything illegal. That's good. That is, that is good. You have a you yeah. have a new house you need to furnish and uh, barbecues to have. Yes. Yep. Speaking Indeed. of which, not to diverge here or or yeah, diverge. Are you um? How's the new house? Oh, know. it's it's awesome. Loving it. My um. Ooh, it's a surprise. I have a, a surprise visitor coming into town this week, oh. and uh, I'm getting the house already for the surprise visitor, which I will reveal hopefully on the next show in a couple weeks. Is it Ellen? <laughs> Ellen? <laughs> <laughs> Ellen? What the f- <laughs> I just picked the first celebrity name that came to my bread. That's, that's, uh, is that's it Michael Jordan? <laughs> you just aged yourself. Like half the young people are like, who's Michael Jordan? Dude, no, you just aged yourself because they know. <laughs> it's, it's not a celebrity. Just on the off chance that any member of my family listens to this <laughs> you show, do I don't want to give away the surprise. Oh, I gotcha. I'm um, sure they don't, but you know. Did you have anything else about the old um, uh, marijuana? I guess one, one last one last point. I guess um, the the potential harms, potential long term harms. Um, heavy use has been implicated in some uh, risks with uh, respiratory problems and cardiovascular problems. Um, potentially some long term impairments in short term memory, and definitely probably the biggest danger would be um, in brain development for for children and adolescents. So mm. probably one of the bigger reasons for. Um, regulating it and for uh, keeping it illegal even would be to keep it out of the hands of young young people whose brains are still developing. Um, some research has indicated that marijuana use, if you start early on in life, like in adolescence, it can lower your IQ by the time you reach age 38. Um, so that's pretty scary. Yeah, I know some people who probably fall into that category. Um <laughs> I just had a, a, a thought here, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to do it, but how long until they have or do they currently have a transdermal marijuana patch? I don't know if they do. I read about some different forms of administration, like the um, they have oral sprays, they have the oils, vaporizers. It's like banaca, but, but for marijuana. <laughs> it's just a matter Benaka? of time. Yeah, just a matter of time. Maybe they'll have the powdered version, just like with the alcohol. Ooh, you sprinkle into your food. You, you sprinkle it onto your. Oh, what if you got like munchies? It, like you sprinkle it on top of like a, a donut or like a like <laughs> McDonald's French fries. It's like so this- unusual. Unusual note on munchies, just just from the dietitian perspective. Um, <laughs> this is purely <laughs> this is purely association, but the American Journal of Epidemiology found that the ratio of obesity is actually a third lower in those who smoke three times, well, smoke marijuana three times a week, than in those who don't smoke at all. Wow. So, despite the munchies, people who smoke marijuana are less obese. <laughs> <Good to know. laughs> Colby said to that that. Uh, Actually, probably just skinny people like to smoke more. <laughs> That's a self-selecting group. <laughs> it is true. Um, awesome. Thank you so much, Carolina. Yeah, no problem. That was fun. That was very fun. So uh, I think we should probably move into our last segment. This week, we are going to get a sales and shit from Christian. Go. Sales and shit. Christian Copley Salem will be your host for this latest tale of the microscopic and macabre world. Of your cells. Cells and shit. Yay. Alrighty then. So I'm going to do sort of a different cells and shit, but that's why it's called and shit, because I can do whatever the heck I want with it. Um, this week, I want to talk about a science news article that's been kind of running around. I want to dispel some of the things that it isn't while telling you kind of what it is. Um, 
let's talk real quick about the way that DNA is structured and the way it replicates. So DNA, as most people know, is a double helix, and it's kind of like a twisted ladder. So you have the backbones, which are the two supporting sides of the ladder, and then you have the bases, which would be the rungs of the ladder. And those bases lay flat, and each rung, the base comes out from it, and then it meets in the middle, and they bind together with a, a, a looser bond than a normal chemical bond. So when they replicate, you can pull that, the two halves of the ladder apart and build off of the base that's on whichever side is replicating, or both sides, and then um, you have a template. So the way it's set up is you have A, T, C, and G, and those are abbreviations for chemicals, adenine, guanine, cytosine, and thymine, and they bond to each other in a specific way. So A and T bond and G and C bond, and never the other way is going to work. It just doesn't happen that way. So scientists have thought that it would be neat to sort of dissect the mechanism of DNA replication and such by trying to screw with it and throw other things into the mix. And one of the things that they've done is they've found chemicals that can substitute in for those A, T, C, and G bases, and they can be other things. There aren't a lot of them that work really well in terms of keeping the helical structure. And then the other problem is they have to work well with the replication enzymes that actually are the proteins that do the replication. Like DNA poly 1 and stuff? Yes. Okay. Um, DNA polymerase 3 is the DNA polymerase that replicates in human cells. Right. Um, and so if these unnatural bases don't work with DNA polymerase 3, then your body can't replicate them. And it stalls and it lags out and bad things happen. So what they have done, and this is, this is actually going back a few years. Um, I want to say 2011 to 2012-ish. Yeah, we'll say 2011. Um, researchers have been looking for these alternative base pairs, and they found a couple that when they are in the DNA helix, they, they bind together to each other. And their names, which I looked online forever to find and couldn't, um, their names are abbreviations but I cannot find what the abbreviation stands for. If anyone can find it, they can post it on our Facebook. But one of them is D5SICS, and the other one is DNAM. No idea what they stand for. But basically, the, the SICS and the NAM bind together. And just like the rungs, the two halves of each of the rungs in the ladder, one is one side and one is the other. However, they don't stick together using the same mechanism. They're actually held together by a hydrophobic interaction, which, huh. um, which in chemical terms means that they don't have any sort of water, water, um, water-felic, hydrophilic, trying to come up with the word. Water-felic. Water-felic. <laughs> uh -huh. They don't have any um, water-type polar bonds. That was the word I was looking for, polar bonds. Um, so they hydrogen don't, they bonds don't, is that what you're speaking to well i was thinking i was thinking um polar bonds okay polar yeah um uh, but you, so you're like, saying these are hydro all hydrophobic non-polar interactions like gasoline correct. oil and water type thing right so yes yeah, so now 
if we if we think about this, the way hydrophobic interactions work is things tend to stack up on top of each other. And if you look at these molecules and we use our ladder analogy, imagine instead of having the two halves of the ladder meet in the middle, if the two halves of the ladder slid past each other and laid flat on top of each other, so the ladder actually bowed inward. And you still get a helical structure. You do. It's, it's a little distorted, and it's actually, they, re, they liken it to um, a mismatched base pairing. Uh-huh. You get a distortion in the helix. But that's normally but it, a bubble. It's interesting. It's almost the exact opposite. You know what I mean? Right, right. But it causes a weird, a weird shape change. But um, the, the interesting thing about it is, and that's, that's, one, well, that's one scientific paper that did all of that. Another one found that they could replicate this DNA strand even though the hydrophobic unnatural base pairs laid flat on top of each other and pulled the helix inward, the, a, a special kind of DNA polymerase, which is called a clentac, which we won't go into that, but it's a, it's a little bit modified Sounds from a natural Star Trekian. Version. You're like, clentac. Yeah. Exactly. It's like the clentac species. But um, it's actually short for clenau, um tac, which is um, two different modifications of the same enzyme. But anyways... It's a, it's a man-made DNA polymerase, but it's basically using the natural mechanism, and it can replicate this. And what happens is, is that as it passes these hydrophobically connected artificial bases, it pulls them apart and lays them planar. So it actually corrects their geometry in the process of replication. Hmm. If it had access to a free version of the other base it could insert it so it could theoretically pull these apart lay them flat and replicate them and then move on past so that's really interesting um and of course there's a lot of chemistry and biology involved in that but what it leads us to is this new article that we have and these, this group is claiming that they have created a semi-synthetic organism with an expanded genetic alphabet. And so what they're talking about is that they have, they have created an, a, an E. coli bacteria that's able to replicate an artificial chromosome or an artificial, it's called a plasmid, but we'll just call it an artificial chromosome. They're able to replicate an artificial chromosome with these base pairs in it and get a proper replication of those base pairs. So basically they injected an E. coli with a ring of DNA that has these unnatural base pairs in it. They feed the E. coli loose versions of the unnatural uh-huh. um, base pairs. So and then the base pairs are not being go. synthesized. They are being, they are being injected. Correct. The, okay. the bacteria doesn't make them. Right. But they're in the media. They're in the surrounding environment for the bacteria to grab onto. So the bacteria grabs hold of it and is able to replicate that plasmid using the artificial bases with its own tack, with its own polymerase. Right. Now, I'm, a, I'm being uh, wholly uncreative here, but did they say uh, other than uh, academically why this is of any interest or benefit? Not really. So that brings us to what it is not. <laughs> it's not. Oh, go ahead. I know what you're going to say. It, it is not 
really that exciting or interesting. And that's coming from a molecular biology guy. I love molecular biology. This is one of those esoteric type things. It has now disseminated into the, the media, and people have heard about it, and people who are into science are all, oh, they've created this synthetic alien you know, DNA alphabet thing. And really, it's not that. This bacteria was able to use its DNA polymerase to insert these artificial bases. What does that mean in terms of the genetic code? Nothing, because those artificial bases don't code for anything. It isn't replication that really defines what we can do with it DNA. Doesn't, if it doesn't code for anything, and you, I don't know if they mentioned this in the article, it, when you actually go to transcribe that from DNA to RNA to protein, do you know what that what happens? Does it skip over it? Does that does it make a stop codone, so to speak? Do you know what happens? No. Oh. Nobody does because they've never – I don't know. That would be the next step, I guess. But even so, let's carry it down the line. So in some strange way, they're able to create a an RNA molecule from it. Then they have to have a transfer RNA molecule that matches it in every position that it could end up in. Right. Then they have to have an amino acid associated with that transfer RNA which is transfer RNAs are a complicated beast. They aren't just, you know, a simple thing you can throw together. They have to have an amino acid hooked to that so that that amino acid could be inserted. We but could it, theoretically do all of this. So if you were to take the most outlandish approach to, or, or at least conceptually about what this could mean, maybe you could create artificial amino acids that do very interesting and unique things that have yet to be determined. And then, like you said, you create a tRNA that's associated with that so that uh, ultimately you are creating this quote-unquote alien protein. Not that alien, not that it comes from another planet, but that it comes from from whole cloth, that it's something we created from scratch. And uh, not that it's needed because with 26 amino acids, you can make about anything you want. But uh, maybe I'm just thinking in the box here and there are, there are some brilliant people coming up with some amazing ideas for this. That, yeah, I mean, all of that is possible. We could, if we create the transfer RNA and we hook an amino acid to it, we could necessarily, not necessarily hook an, a normal amino acid to it. We could hook, you know, there are, there are more than 20 amino acids. There's thousands, right? We have right. only, as, as biological organisms, we have only incorporated 20 of them or so. There's a few modifications. Basically, though, there's 20 of them that run off of transfer RNAs, and that's what all life uses. But there are basically an infinite number of possible ways you can combine an amine and a, and a carboxylic acid together. I'm going to think about this. There's got to be some large-reaching implications for this. We could create our we could create custom enzymes made from non-standard amino acids and have use them as drugs and have E. coli produce them. That's, Theoretically. That's the right path. I, I think But there's so. a simpler way to do that because there's so many redundant codons that already exist. Right, which is so. I, 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 yeah, I agree. We we have not exhausted what current biology will do to need to go to these extreme measures. So there's got to be right. something out there that is completely de novo, amazing, like <laughs> like thought process to what this can do. You know what I mean? There might the, be, and it could just be a bunch of people saying, "Wow, this is really cool." <laughs> yeah, well, which I mean, that's almost all science starts. That hopefully, and, <laughs> right. and that's a, right. a hugely important step. And I highly encourage this line of research, but. uh uh, right. It's just, it's hard to think of the practical implications. It, to me, like if I was going to do that, 
there are 20 amino acids, and there are 64 possible arrangements of transfer RNAs, and they're redundant a lot of the time. There's a lot of them that code for five, right. five different codes for the same amino acid. Why would we not just insert something new into that particular codon? Yeah. Like, that seems like it would be way easier than, like, hydrophobic stacking, and we don't even know if RNA polymerase can read it. I mean, there's a whole slew of different things that it would have to go through, right. you well, know, creating the transfer we, RNA, like, <laughs> it just seems easier to take what we already have. Well, very cool. But uh, good times. Yeah. So, it's interesting, but it is not weird artificial life, alien DNA, nothing. It's basically just a lab curiosity. Well, we'll keep our eye open. I, uh, yeah, what I, the heck? I, I feel like there's got to be something there, so. Maybe. Cool. Well, geez, we've almost burned up a whole hour. I guess we should probably finish up here. But Dell's not here to give us our big sign-off, so we're going to have to do a boring, normal one. Unless someone else wants to stand stand up. Here's my exciting (laughs) sign-off. Here's my my exciting sign-off. Bye. There it is. And seeing Dell wasn't here to keep us on track time-wise, it's probably going to be a really long episode. Everything is just it, we're, we're going. Nobody, nobody's the rails. even listening to this part now. They've all shut down they 15 minutes not. ago. They are. They're all listening. It's. Uh, what are we doing? What happened? I don't know. Wake up! Am I here? <laughs> oh my gosh! If you're, if you're like me and here. you fall asleep to your podcast, and uh, yeah, this would be like, wake up! <laughs> it just it's three thirty-two in the morning, and someone just got startled awake. Um, thank you so much for listening to the Beta Sandwich Science Podcast. Uh, as Dell says, uh, oh, man, uh, what does he say? <laughs> he said <laughs> someone posted it on Facebook because it was so funny. I'm going to have to pull it up here real Something quick. like, like, something. They just reiterated what he said, wh- wh- yeah. which was, uh, hold on, I got it. Oh, yeah. Book us on Facelike and tweet us on Twitter. There it is. <laughs> someone actually put that on there. So, uh, yes, please do that. Uh, at Beta Sandwich on the Twitter machine, and we are Beta Sandwich Podcast on Facebook. So, please follow us. Talk to us. Tell us what you want to hear. And, uh, everyone say bye. 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 I did something else this week that's not really necessarily podcast interesting, but might be interesting for you, Scott. Please do. Because I asked you repeatedly for recommendations on science fiction books that I should read. Did you? Old Man's War, please tell me you tried it. So I, so I took your recommendations to the bookstore, and I was browsing around, and I bought two different books, but neither of them were your recommendation. <laughs> you son and of a bitch. That's because that's <laughs> the way I roll. Okay? Um, have you ever heard of Greg Bear? Most famous book from Mr. Eon? Bear. E-O-N. E-O-N? E-O-N. No. Okay. Yeah, about that. What was the other one? And another one by Terry Pratchett and Stephen Baxter? I know those names. Pratchett wrote that whole big... He writes a bunch of books. He's kind of funny-ish. He's got a little bit of a witty thing. And Stephen Baxter wrote Ark and Flood. Okay. And... and 